I want to begin this morning by thanking Tom Dooling and our choir and all of our musicians, our worship committee and the hymnal selection committee and our session for all the work that they have made, all the work they've done in bringing this new hymnal to us. But you may be left with the question, why are we making such a big deal about dedicating a new hymnal? Isn't this just something we start to do every, or that we have to do every few decades if the if the cover gets a little tattered, why don't we just, you know, can't we just replace some of them? Or if we change it, why do we have to make a big deal about it? Let me ask you this question. How many of you all have listened to any music this morning? Okay, a few, maybe on your way here in the car. How many of you all, before you turned on your radio dial or put your CD in or, or turned on your streaming service, how many of you all actually prayed that those words that came into your ears that will go into your mind and into your heart would glorify God. Now you may be thinking, ooh, that was not what I was thinking when I turned on my particular favorite Sirius XM station. But here's the thing, music has a power that we're going to discuss today. And that power is worthy of our reflection. Because anything that comes into our hearts, into our minds, whether it's through our eyes and ears, is worthy of our understanding and attention. And so if you would, please turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. I'm going to be reading to you a slightly different version than the one that's in the bulletin and perhaps a little bit different from what's on the screen. I'm reading from the New King James Version of this passage, but I think that the, I think the context will make it clear and the, the words will be the same. Uh, the message will be essentially the same. But this is 2 Chronicles 5, 13 and 14. Indeed, it came to pass when the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and the cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord saying, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever, that the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O oh Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Amidst the changing words of our generation, speak to us your eternal word that does not change. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. There's an old story that the church choir director was being driven out of his mind at the rehearsals for the Christmas chorale concert. It seemed that at least one or more members of the choir were absent at every rehearsal. Finally, they got to that last rehearsal and the choir director announced, I want to personally thank the pianist for being here and for the, being the only person in this entire church choir to attend each and every rehearsal for this concert during the last two months. At this, the pianist rose and bowed and said, well, it was the least I could do considering that I won't be able to be at the concert tonight. 
Well, today, musically, is game day. It's Sunday. Today is a special Sunday because we have dedicated our new hymnal. But I also want you to remember that today is also Reformation Sunday. And these two events are intimately and historically related. Martin Luther once said that next to theology, I give to music the highest place and honor. Music is, at the art, music is the art of the prophets, the only art that can calm the agitations of the soul. It is one of the most magnificent and delightful presents God has given us. Now, I must confess, I have always been a word-oriented Christian. But one thing that I've discovered over the years is that music is an important part of my spiritual life. Theology... The words of faith tell us the truth. But music, music tells us how to feel about it. Music is such a powerful tool. It is such a marvelous gift. Letitia Elizabeth Landon once wrote, Music is God's best gift to man. The only art of heaven given to earth and the only art of earth we take to heaven. Music is native to the worship of God. The book of Psalms was not only the prayer book of Israel, it was the hymn book of Israel. And the book of Psalms concludes with these words as it closes its verses. Praise him with the trumpet. Praise him with the lute and the harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and flutes. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. What that means is that music is no accessory to worship. It is woven into the very fabric of giving glory to God. And not only on earth, but in heaven as well. C.S. Lewis described hell as the kingdom of noise, of wailing, clashing, clanging, clamor, and murmur. That in contrast to the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of music, a place of harmony and rhythm between sound and silent peace. Revelation 4, 6 says this, before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. And they do not rest day or night saying, holy, 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 Lord God almighty who was and is and is to come. Singing God's praises day and night is the joyous business of heaven. As Longfellow said, music is the language spoken by the angels. What's sad is that even though we hear these great words about music, we've often trivialized it. In our culture nowadays, we use music as simply entertainment or as background noise, or as advertising shtick. 
You know, how many commercials have you seen advertising everything from car washes to golf balls that include the hallelujah chorus? Does that ever bother you? Too often we've trivialized it, especially the hallelujah chorus. You know, at the first London performance of the Messiah, George Friedrich Handel wrote to his patron, I should be sorry, my Lord, if I have only succeeded in entertaining them. With my music, I wished to make them better. Like all of God's gifts in this world, music's power is often abused and, aper and perverted. You don't have to listen to the radio long to hear that music is the primary weapon used to make the perverse seem glamorous and exciting and appealing. Music is used to ridicule religion. It's used to ridicule morality and patriotism and productivity all at the same time while glorifying addiction and drugs and destruction and revolution and sexual promiscuity. It's for reasons like this that the great, uh, the great reform, uh, reformer Ulrich Zwingli, who was himself a great musician, eliminated music completely from his church. Even though he loved music and it was close to his heart, he eliminated, eliminated it because he was scared that it would be abused. Now, John Calvin appreciated music for the same reason that Luther loved it and Zwingli feared it. He loved it because he believed it had what he called a secret and almost incredible power. And that power was the power to move the human heart. Calvin, too, believed that the plain word of Scripture should be central to the worship of God and to the Christian faith, and it should never be obscured. But Calvin also believed that music could help to impress that truth on the human consciousness. You know, often when we speak about music, we talk about its beauty, but rarely do we talk about its power. And yet its power was on full display when Solomon opened the newly built temple. Look again at our passage that we've read today. The book of 2 Chronicles, the fifth chapter, says that as the Israelites walked the Ark of the Covenant into the Holy of Holies, a huge choir was assembled. And the Levites, who were the singers, stood at the east end of the altar, clothed in white linen, having cymbals, stringed instruments, and harps, and with them 120 priests sounding with trumpets. Now, the the temple was probably smaller than this room. Can you imagine the volume of that choir and those trumpets and those cymbals and everything else? But once they came together, once they were assembled, they began to make music. Now understand what I'm saying here. They did not start to make a racket. There was no cacophony, but rather it was the music of a combined symphony of cymbals and all kinds of stringed instruments and trumpets. And the Bible says that when the trumpeters and the singers started singing and praising God, it says, the, it says that the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud and the priests had to stop what they were doing because the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Again, picture in your mind what's happened here. When the temple host united their voices and united their music in the praise of God, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. In the Bible, 
This cloud is called the Shekinah. And the Shekinah, this Shekinah cloud, was the visible manifestation of the glory and presence of God. And so what they witnessed in their singing, in their praise, in their symphony, was God taking possession of the temple. When the people sang and when the orchestra played, God claimed and filled the temple. Music is powerful because it is one of the many ways that God claims and fills his people. How does God use music to claim and fill his people? Again, let me ask you a question. How has music influenced your life? And particularly your life of faith. How has it comforted you? How has it inspired you? How has it led you astray or led you to God? Perhaps you remember a time when music has brought you together with other people. Music has the power to bring the body of Christ together in worship. You know, I love it when we all sing together. Last week, when we were here celebrating our 175 years of ministry together, well, not together, we weren't all here for 175 years, but you know what I mean, the church. And the whole congregation was full. I had the best seat in the house. Sitting up here in the front, hearing everyone sing, the harmonies, the rhythm, the power of it was overwhelming. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. And he so often chooses to do it through music. In my estimation, there are a few things as unifying as the people of God singing his praises and joining their voices for his glory. Whenever I envision the perfect church, I picture a great multitude of saints joining their voices for his glory. Whenever I envision the perfect church, I picture that scene, this scene of us singing together. And I think about us all joining together in eternity, singing that great hymn, holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, all the earth shall praise thy name in earth and sky and sea. I can just envision God's people past and present and even future singing together with all the angels in a multitude joined in time and space, terrible as an army with banners. The purpose of music in the church is to give glory to God. It is praise in naked form. And no matter whether you have two or 10 or 10,000 voices united, the Lord uses music to show the unity of the church. Whatever disagreements we may have, the great hymns of the faith can bring us together in harmony. But God also uses music to cross boundaries of culture and language between Christians. I didn't truly understand that the, the I didn't truly understand the oneness of the body of Christ until I went to Africa for the first time and I worshiped in Africa. Now, African worship, if you've ever been to Africa, you'll, you, can, you can confirm this. African worship is, well, shall we say, very African. It's amazing. When they sing and when they praise God, they dance and they clap. 
But when silence is called for, it gets as quiet as a chapel. First of all, most of the prayers in the sermon are usually read or given in dialect, and so too are the hymns. But even though the words were different and the music was somewhat Africanized, if I can use that word, with the awesome sound of drums and with the beautiful harmonies of those people, we were still singing familiar tunes. We were still singing the great hymns of faith, but they were charged with the enthusiasm of African Christianity. And whether African or Asian or Latin American, European or American, when we worship together and sing to his glory together, God fills and claims his people. Music has the power to unify. Music also has the power to teach. Perhaps you remember a time when music has taught you. How many of you all are Generation Xers out there? You know how a bill became a law, and you know about verbs and adverbs and nouns and conjunctions because of schoolhouse rock, don't you? You learned those things through music. Well, music has been used to teach the power of faith for generations. Jesus used the Psalms to teach his disciples not only to sing, but to pray. In his writings, Paul taught, quoting the earliest hymns of the Christian community. Ephesians 1 and Philippians 2 are great examples of this. And just as we learn the alphabet, alphabet by means of a song, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, you all know the rest. So we also learn the ABCs of faith through music. The first Bible verses I ever learned, I learned through songs. Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all his ways and he will make straight your path. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Alle, alleluia. I promise I won't sing often. <laughs> May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. Pleasing to you. I don't know, I don't know about you, but I learned my first profound and basic theology in songs like, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. And others like he's got the whole world in his hands. I would dare to say that most of us learned the Christmas story through Christmas carols. A little town of Bethlehem, away in a manger, hark the herald angels sing. And I, I want you to be honest with yourself. Before the age of 25, how much of your theology did you learn from music? 10%? 20%? about half, most of it, between camp songs and vacation Bible school songs and Sunday school songs and hymns, I bet that most of what we learn as Christians, at least that which sticks with us, we learn through music. When God fills us and claims us in this way, music becomes a form of prayer. But perhaps the power of music is at its most sublime when God uses it to express that which cannot be expressed in words alone. The truth is, is that often people sing about things that are just too hard to say. 
My grandfather and I were very close, and I remember that when he died, I just went numb. At his funeral, I was stone-faced until the organ started playing. And 750 people started to sing together, A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. And for the first time in the week since my grandfather died, I cried. My eyes swelled with tears, and I wept in front of God and everybody. And just as Luther declared that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the army of the Lord, so my heavenly Father finally broke open my heart so that my grief could turn into joy. That hymn said things that I wanted to say, but that I couldn't say myself. For others, I'm sure there are other pieces sung in other times by which God has claimed you and filled you. I come to the garden alone. How great thou art. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. There's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. And I know that it's the spirit of the Lord. I surrender all. Just as I am, without one plea, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Finally, we have to remember that the living Spirit of God can adapt the power of music to new times and new circumstances. There was once a young boy who complained to his father that most of the church hymns were boring and old-fashioned, with tiresome words that meant little to his generation. His father challenged him with these words. He said, if you think you can write better hymns, then write them. The boy accepted the challenge, went to his room, and wrote his first hymn. The year was 1690, and the young man was Isaac Watts. Among his 350 hymns are Joy to the World, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, and I sing the almighty power of God among many other classics. To freeze the church's worship in one mode is to handcuff the living God. In every age, the church must evaluate the life and the spirit of her worship. The classic hymns of faith and the style in which they were written have stood the test of time, but we must never forget that God can use new classics to declare his glory. Some of my favorite prayers have been carried by bluegrass or by soul or even by rock and roll. Pieces like How He Loves Us, The Resurrection Song, Better Is One Day, He Reigns, Who Am I, How Great Is Our God, and the one we sang together last week in Christ Alone. If you don't recognize any of these titles, you may be missing out, and you need to add them to your playlist and believe that the living God is using all kinds of music to claim and fill all kinds of people. 
the music of the church, the songs and the anthems, the preludes and the postludes, the Sunday school songs that we sing, these are not a trifle. They are a gift of God. And God uses them to claim and to fill not only his temple, but his people. Will you pray with me? Oh Lord, as we sing together now, as we lift up our hearts and our hands to you, help us to remember that it was in the context of singing that you filled your temple and through which you will fill your people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.